0: Uh, So, before we start tonight, we're going to cover a couple chapters. We'll see how far we get. Uh, We're nearing the, tonight is the last night we're going to talk about Israel, the northern kingdom. So we've been going on for quite some time since Solomon, going back and forth between Israel and Judah, Israel and Judah, trying to keep all these names straight, especially when you have a king of Judah who has the same name as a king of Israel that was just served and we're going back and forth and we're all confused. Well, tonight is the night that Israel is Kaput as far as the northern kingdom goes. They're going to be carried away into captivity. But before we do that, before we get into 2 Kings 17, I actually want to move over to Second Chronicles chapter 30, because we're going to read a little bit of Second Chronicles. Now, Hezekiah is the son of King Ahaz. And last week we left off with King Ahaz of Judah, pretty wicked king. He, he did a lot of evil, wasn't a good king at all. He, and, and, and Ahaz followed Uzziah, um, and if you remember, is, uh, Isaiah's call to become a prophet of God happens in the year King Uzziah died. His son Ahaz takes over, Ahaz is wicked, but Isaiah has an incredible influence on Hezekiah. Hezekiah actually becomes a very, very good king, and he starts his reign Three years into the reign of Hosea, the king of Israel. Okay, so uh, hopefully we're kind of getting all this. We're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the text in Chronicles. Lord, we do thank you for this night, and we ask for you to teach us. And Lord, there's so much we can learn from your people, and there's a reason why you recorded each and every account. Lord, why this word is inspired and why it's useful today to us. Um, Lord... Help us to learn your character. Help us to understand what the things that please you. And uh, Lord, we, we just pray now that you'd move in us, that we might um, be succumbed to humble ourselves and fear you alone, and that we might be transformed more into your likeness. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hezekiah, again, takes over. During, uh, he becomes king during Hosea's reign. In Hosea, the northern kingdom of Israel, in his third year of reigning, Hezekiah becomes king. Hezekiah does amazing reforms in Judah. And it's incredible because Chronicles actually has four chapters dedicated to King Hezekiah. So you're going to have to go home and read some of this on your own. But one of the things, the reason I want to do this before we do 2 Kings is in chapter 30 of 2 Chronicles, we can read a little bit more about Hezekiah and his influence or uh, how he tries to influence the northern kingdom. Verse 1 says, and Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at the regular time, because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly. So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem." since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. So let me pause there for a moment. If you remember when Jeroboam took over as king after Solomon, when God tore away the kingdom from Jeroboam, Jeroboam was fearful that he might lose his kingdom to Judah. And so he decided to create his own worship center there in the northern kingdom of Israel and try to divert people from going down to Judah. So it has been since the time of Jeroboam uh, to now that, that uh, Israel has not celebrated the Passover. Now, how many times are, you, how, many times, uh, are, are how often are we, they supposed to celebrate a Passover? Anybody remember uh, how often it, uh, Israel was supposed to celebrate the Passover? Uh, once a year, yeah. Once a year, it's one of the great feasts. You remember from John when he came and spoke. Uh, Passover is supposed to be celebrated once a year, and the dates are really important. On the 10th of Nisan, Israel is to select a lamb. And, and the month of Nisan, that's the name of the month. And they were supposed to select a lamb. They bring that lamb into their household. And it becomes a, really a family pet during that time. On the 14th of Nisan, that lamb is to be sacrificed And then they are to put the blood posts on the doors, of course, in the original Exodus, Passover. But they are supposed to celebrate this, uh, continue on. And the 10th of Nisan, Jesus came in on a donkey, the colt. And people said, Hosanna in the highest, the Lord saves. He went into the temple. Then he came back out and went to Bethany. It's on the 14th of Nisan that Jesus was crucified. So just keep that in mind that God set this timeline up and this Passover to, to, uh, so Israel wouldn't miss Christ. But anyway, let's go back to Hezekiah. So he sent out letters to all the, the uh, Israel. Verse 6, Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespass against the Lord God of their fathers, so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Now, do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. Let me stop there. So Hezekiah is trying to call Israel to come back to the Lord. And he actually gives this promise, I'm sure it's a prophecy given to Israel, that, that, hey, if you come and return to the Lord, God will restore you. So come back to the Lord. Don't be stiff-necked. The term stiff-necked actually comes from, from oxen. Because when an oxen didn't want to put on the yoke, it would stiffen its neck so you couldn't get the yoke on. You couldn't pull it down to get the yoke on. So you would start to go, use the goads, the pointed sticks... To poke the oxen, of course he would kick the air, wasn't doing anything. And the more the oxen fought, the more he got poked until eventually he submitted to that yoke. And, and uh, so if you have horses and you've ever tried to saddle a horse, a lot of horses bloat themselves up, you know, when you're trying to put on their thing. So if you have a good horse, you've taught it not to do that. If you have a, a horse you're training, you give it some food while you're putting it on the saddle so it can't bloat itself up. But if you don't uh, take care of that, that uh, cinch on the horse when it bloats itself up, you'll find yourself riding down the road and all of a sudden going sideways, you know. I, I used to ride horses a lot. Way back when. So, uh, so anyway, uh, so he says, don't be stiff-necked about this, okay? So verse 8, now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who led them captive so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. This is an incredible promise to Israel. It's an incredible act of God's mercy and a wonderful invitation saying, listen, you're doing everything that's evil and against God, turn back around repent of those deeds come to the lord you'll not only be received by god but he'll be gracious and merciful to you and he'll restore your land sounds like a great offer right so the runners passed from city to city through the country of ephraim and manasseh as far as zebulun but they laughed at them and mocked them nevertheless some from asher and manasseh and zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. What a contrast between Judah and Israel. In in Judah there was unity. And there was unity because of Hezekiah's reforms. And, and the work that Hezekiah did to bring the people of Israel back to worshiping their God. And we'll, we'll learn more about Hezekiah uh, later on tonight. But, but here we see that Israel laughs at the invitation, Israel laughs at the mercy and the graciousness of God. Listen, friends, I know that in our world today, we see the world mock God's word, we see the world mock God's creation. It's common uh, when we talk about genders or the preservation of life and, and not aborting murdering babies, the world mocks this. So don't be surprised, but we still want to hold out that invitation, that wonderful, gracious and merciful invitation of the Lord that to turn from this and follow the Lord. Turn and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. We still have that invitation, but, but we see even in Hezekiah's day, he's giving this wonderful invitation to come back to the Lord. They laugh. Some came, though. 13, now many people, a very great assembly, gathered in Jerusalem to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars and cast them in the brook Kidron. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. They stood in their place according to their customs, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levites." For there were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charged the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. Now, what's happening here is there is specific instructions given in Exodus uh, about how the Passover feast is supposed to go. And uh, actually... To this day, the Samaritan people in Israel still celebrate the Passover, and unfortunately it 's kind of sad because they 're missing Jesus Christ in the Passover. but you can actually go and watch them uh, celebrate the Passover and uh, one of the things they do is they bring in the lambs after shaving its neck, they slit the lamb 's throat and it obviously it bleeds out they capture the 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 blood inside of a, a cup now. It's interesting because when they bring that lamb down to slice his throat, everybody's silent and watching. When that lamb's throat gets slit and the blood starts flowing, people start cheering. They start cheering. And then the blood is taken on a branch, a little like hyssop branch, uh, kind of uh, a small brush, uh like small bristles of a, a tree. They dip it in it and they start flinging it on the people. And people start getting blood on them, and they're cheering, and they're excited because what they feel is that God's atonement is given to them during that process. Now, again, they're missing the point of Jesus, but you get the idea and the picture about what is being conducted and how important sacrifice is. And that's what the priests are doing here by sprinkling the blood, and they're purifying themselves and doing this. So, um, Verse uh, 18, for a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not been cleansed themselves. Now, Now these are people from the northern kingdom. Yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them saying, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers. Though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and Healed the people. Isn't it amazing the graciousness and the mercy of God as Hezekiah, a righteous man, is interceding on behalf of the ones who didn't quite do it right? I mean, in a way, it's almost like they're working with individuals who had never heard the law of God. In fact, they probably are. Because in, in Israel, the northern kingdom, it seems that they had lost the law of God completely And so here Hezekiah is just interceding on their behalf and asking God to be gracious to them even though they didn't do things right. And God healed the people, the Bible says. 21, so the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day singing to the Lord accompanied by loud instruments. Okay, so drums absolutely belong in church. <laughs> uh, I know that was a old argument. but And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they ate throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. Verse 23, then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast. Another seven days. And they kept it another seven days with gladness. The people don't want to leave from the presence of God. There's revival happening there in uh, at the temple. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep. And the leaders gave to the assembly a 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep. And a great number of priests sanctified themselves. The whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. Also, the priests and the Levites, all the assembly that came from Israel, the sojourners who came from the land of Israel, and those who dwelt in Judah. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Quite a victory, that we, a spiritual victory we see. Unfortunately, it wasn't all of northern Israel, it was just some. But I love the fact that Hezekiah even provided for the people for the northern kingdom. See, it was supposed to be the individual household that selects the lamb for the slaughter. It was supposed to come from your household. It was something that that you prepared for, for the year for this lamb. I mean, just think about this for a moment. If you're preparing for Passover, or, or let's say you're preparing for Christmas, dinner, and you start, the year before raising a cow or a pig or whatever it is you guys like at Christmas dinner, a goose, you start raising this goose, right? So the the people of Israel were supposed to start with this, have this lamb ready, be ready to chew. It was supposed to be an ongoing idea that they're keeping in mind that they're preparing themselves for the Passover celebration, but The northern kingdom didn't come prepared. They didn't even come clean. They came a mess. They didn't even understand the law. And so we see Hezekiah not only intercede on their behalf, but we see also Hezekiah provide on their behalf. It's a wonderful illustration of God for us and how God intercedes. Jesus Christ intercedes on our behalf. And and we also see that God provides for us the salvation that was needed. So there's this amazing victory in the kingdoms. Then it says, um, verse 27, Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. And look at 31 verse 1. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah And broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down the high places and altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. So the result of revival was doing away with idolatry. Doing away with the false form of worship, these people had met the Lord God. They were forgiven and they were rejoicing. So that was what was going on in the southern kingdom of Judah. Now let's get back to Second Kings, and we're definitely not going to get as far as I thought. Uh, so Second uh, Kings, uh, chapter seventeen. I, I just wanted to, wanted to set this up for you because Hezekiah is doing this in Judah, in the southern kingdom well, what's happening here in the northern kingdom. Again, uh, Hosea is, is king in the northern kingdom. In his th- the third year of his reign, Hezekiah becomes king. Uh, and in the ninth year of his reign, his reign is going to end. So sometime in between that third year and that ninth year, this invitation went out to the northern kingdom. So Verse 1, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Okay, that's an interesting comment. He did evil, just not as bad. Okay, uh, so you're kind of like, well, I guess, I guess it's kind of good, I don't know, but uh, the following verse says, Shalmaneser, Naser, king of Assyria, came up against him. And Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to, uh, to uh, the king of Egypt and brought, brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. So we're going to see that God is ready to bring his judgment upon the northern kingdom. And it's not necessarily because he's doing more sin. It's just the time is fulfilled because Israel will not repent. And I really believe that Hezekiah's invitation and the rejection of that invitation was the final, um, the final thing. Um, A total rejection of God. So Hosea decides to try to plot with the king of Egypt. um, And as a result, the king of Assyria finds out. And then he goes and takes Hosea captive and locks him up in prison. Okay, now the Assyrians were a fearful group. Uh, Just so we understand, the Assyrians were known for just total atrocities when they would attack. They flung away the bodies of soldiers like clay. They made pyramids of, of heads. They sacrificed a hol- uh, uh, holocaust of sons and daughters of their enemies. They burned cities. They filled populous lands with death and devastation. They, uh, they reddened broad deserts with carnage of warriors. They basically just painted the deserts with, with warriors. They scattered whole countries with the corpses of their defenders as with chaff from wheat. They impaled heaps of men on stakes and strewed the mountains and choked the rivers with dead bones. They cut off the hands of kings and nailed them to walls. They left their bodies to rot with bears and dogs at the entrance of gates of city. They cut down warriors like weeds or smote them like wild beasts in forest. By the way, there's a whole list more of things that they would do. These guys were terrible guys. Um, But the Assyrians were very feared. More than that, When the Assyrians would come in to conquer, they would remove everybody that was worth anything in that population. They would only really leave behind the down and out. And they would move them to other cities and bring in people from from that place. And usually when they carried them off, they carried them off naked with fish hooks in their lips to to, uh, drag them off into captivity. Okay, brutal, brutal people when they conquered. And they were good at conquering the Assyrian Empire. Um, so, verse 5. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and by the harbor the river of Gozan and the cities of the Medes. So, um, Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, actually began besieging Samaria, the capital of northern Israel. And that was in the ninth year of Hosea. Uh, he actually, it, it's actually kind of credited with two people conquering Israel. He started to besiege Samaria, but didn't finish. He died in the middle of his siege. And Sargon the Second is the one who finally finished the siege, uh, his predecessor, uh, or uh, his... Um, uh, legacy, so Sargon the uh, inscriptions uh, kind of help us understand that in 720 BC uh, he finally conquered. So 722 BC Israel starts the besie- being besieged. 720 BC uh, we read that over a coalition of forces that included the army of Samaria, appeared to claim conquest to Samaria for himself. For, uh, and uh, there's inscriptions about this. He writes this, I besieged and conquered Samaria. I took as booty 27,290 people who lived there. I gathered 50 chariots from them. I taught the rest of the deportees their skills. I set my eunuch over them, and I imposed on them the same tribute as the previous king. So that's Sargon II. In his chronicle of what he did to Samaria and Israel. And uh, now we see no more Israel. Verse 7 For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods, and had walked in the statues of the nations from the Lord. Uh, from whom, uh, sorry, nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. Also, the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. And they built for themselves high places in all their cities, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. There, there they burned incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away before them and they did wicked things to provoke the lord to anger for they served idols of which the lord had said to them you shall not do this thing this account of god's judgment upon the northern kingdom there are a couple of things i want to point out first of all they did not fear the lord god they feared other gods they worshiped and feared other gods second i want to point out to you Is It says, also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. That's verse 9. I like that it says that because I don't think you can secretly do things against your God. But they thought they could. That's the worst part about this. They thought, well, I don't want God to bring judgment on us, so I'm going to secretly do this evil thing. I'm going to keep this quiet and continue on in it. But yet God is here giving the account of what they've done against him. And he's saying all their secret sins have been exposed as well. Uh, Then it says for them, it compares them to the other nations. Not only did they do false worship, but then they practiced the things that the nations that God drove out before them were doing and why he drove them out. Verse 13 Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all of his prophets, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all, that the law, all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Now, um, Israel was not without God's invitation. The pro- prophets who are named that went to the northern kingdom of Israel, we had Elijah, we had Elisha, we had Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. All those prophets were prophets prophesying in the northern kingdom. Not to mention we had the sons of the prophet, which was that school of ministry of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, We also had unnamed prophets that we've talked about Throughout the book of 2nd uh, Kings there were prophets that had no name they were just called man of god. So there were many voices trying to speak to Israel but look at what the what the message was it was turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes. Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and statutes. It's interesting that when God gives an invitation, it's not, you suck. Stop it. You're the worst. I hate you. Right? It's turn. Come back to me. Live. It's God calling people to life, not calling people to death. And and that, that's one of the interesting things I see about this from God is that when he calls you to turn from your evil ways, it's not that, that he feels better about himself. He's a holy God. He doesn't even need you. It's that, that you'll have relationship with him and that you'll have life. That's why God calls. And that's what he did. Turn back to me. My commandments, my statutes, according to the law, which I commanded your fathers and which I sent you by my servants, the prophet. Verse 14, nevertheless, they would not hear, but they stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe the Lord their God, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them. "...concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft, and sue Satan, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to an anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel." and removed them from the, his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Now, the beginning of this paragraph started with, in verse 13, yet the Lord testified against Israel. I find it just so awesome that God, he doesn't need to justify himself to us, but yet he does show how just he is. There's this huge record against Israel of all the wickedness that they continued to do. And, and, that, and God is giving, is testifying uh, why his judgment was just. And not that God needs to, but because he's a just God and a loving God, he gives this account. And he also gives the account of how he tried to call them away from this evil. But they rejected the Lord. They rejected the Lord's covenant with them. Verse 19, also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord God, but walked in the statues of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, Which he did, they did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he said, by all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. So now we have the, uh, honestly, this is kind of the end of the season uh, for Israel. If you would, like if you're watching a, a, a TV show that has episodes and finally they're wrapping up the entire show. And in that, that wrap-up episode, they're giving you the flashbacks from, from all the early years of that show, okay? That's what's happening. We're getting all the flashbacks from, from Israel. Verse 24, then the king of Assyria brought the people from Babylon, uh, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from uh, Saravim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities, and it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them. That's awesome. I was just going to say. It's like just sent lions among them to kill them. Um, so they spoke to the king of Assyria saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the city of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land, Therefore he has sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them, because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. So then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there, let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Now, I think it's interesting that a a priest that they carried away from from Israel is sent back to teach them the ways of God, which he himself wasn't even practicing. But here's the important part. The king of Assyria and the peoples think that God is restricted to borders. Certainly, God has said that this is an inheritance for his people, the borders of Israel, but uh, God is not restricted. So they actually complain. The people who have resettled there say, this is terrible. We have lions coming in. They're just mauling us. Because we don't know what we're supposed to do. (laughs) What a complaint to a king. Uh, Someone save us from this God. You know? Verse 29. However, every nation continued to make gods of its own. And put them in the shrines on the high places. Which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkoth, Benoth. And the men of Cush made Nergal, Benoth. the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nebahaz, and Tartak and the Saravites burned their children in fire of Adramelech and Namalek, the gods of Serevium. So, the so they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places, who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away to this day they continue practicing the former rituals they do not fear the lord nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances of the law and commandment with which the lord had commanded the children of jacob whom he renamed israel with whom the lord had made a covenant and charged them saying you shall not fear other gods nor bow down to them nor serve them nor sacrifice to them But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and him you shall offer sacrifice. And the statues, the ordinances, the law, the commandment, which he wrote to you, you shall be careful, observe forever. You shall not fear other gods and the covenant that I have made with you. You shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods, but the Lord your God you shall fear. And he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However... They did not obey, but they followed their former rituals, so these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. So how is it that they feared the Lord but served their gods? Well, basically what they did was they added God into the mix, and they said, okay, we got this priest, let's make sure to make sacrifices to him, but we're still going to do our own thing. And uh, they continued in this, and they uh, they continued in this. Now, I want to point this out to you. This is where the Samaritan people come from. Uh, when Israel comes back into the land, when God allows after Daniel, uh, when God allows Israel to come back in, which is Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, you're gonna. What we see is that there are people there that come to Ezra and say, "Hey, we want to help build the temple." And Ezra says, "No way, man." You guys have intermixed with other people. You've been worshiping false gods. And so the Samaritan people that we read about in Jesus' day, they come from this intermixing of the Assyrians bringing in these people and worshiping their gods. And, and uh, of course, the Samaritans end up worshiping on a different mountain because they're disqualified for temple worship. So they kind of continue that practice. So, all right. All right. Here we go. Um... So I want to make sure I've got all these. Okay, Verse 18, chapter 18. We're going to just start chapter 18. We, we won't get uh, very far into it. Now, it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abbe, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. How refreshing it is to hear that, those words of a king. That he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. And now, uh, again, this is Hezekiah we read about that gave the invitation to Israel to come celebrate the Passover. And they laughed at him. Now Israel's wiped out. We'll never go back to Israel. We're not going to talk about Samaria again because they've been conquered by Assyria. And Hezekiah, now we're switching back over to Judah, and uh, the author of 2 Kings is catching us up to Hezekiah's reign. Look at what he did. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, broken pieces, the bronze serpent that Moses has made, for until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. Now, Nehushtan actually just means bronze pieces. That's what the word actually means. But this is the bronze serpent from Numbers chapter twenty, if you remember. Um, I think it's numbers twenty. For some reason, th- that part of my notes didn't transfer over. Uh, <clears throat> so this is that bronze serpent that, if you remember, Israel was complaining like they did, and and God told Moses He sent this plague of serpents. That came in, they would bite people, they were dying uh, during their wilderness wanderings. And so Moses interceded for the people. God said, okay, I want you to take a bronze serpent and you're gonna put it on a pole, you're gonna uh, uh, erect it, and when the people get bit by the snake, they're gonna run over that bronze serpent and look at it and then they're not gonna die. So God gave them this opportunity. Now obviously bronze is... Uh, all of the temple fixtures, or many of the temple fixtures were made of bronze, like the bronze laven where the sacrifice was made. And bronze is a a metal that coincides with judgment, just just so we understand ourselves. And so this bronze serpent that God gave to Moses became a relic. And the relic became an idol for Israel, for Judah. And so we find that in Judah, uh, they've been worshiping the serpent now for some At least 800 years. They've had it around for for 800 years. And they're worshiping the serpent. And uh, so when Hezekiah becomes king, he crushes it. He destroys it. And let me just say this. There are some heritages, uh, there are some things that we inherit that are not worth keeping. Idols are especially one of those things. I remember driving in Kathmandu before I was getting ready to leave. Uh, Saji, our missionary there, our worker, brought me by uh, one of the most sacred places in Kathmandu. So we went down there. It's by the river, and I've never seen a, a more polluted river. It's disgusting, but it's the most holy place in in, in Kathmandu, in Nepal, or in Nepal. This, this this temple in this area. This is where they take all the bodies to burn them after death, and uh, it's just very dirty. And there's idols everywhere. But as I pulled into this, you see a sign up, and it says, World Heritage Site. And I said, well, isn't that true? This is a heritage to the world. No question about it. This idolatry that goes on there, that's where this demon-possessed witch, and I'm literally using those terms, uh, came and chased me out of the area with a pitchfork. Um, But... uh, yeah, this it was just, I mean, you felt the demonic oppression when you walked in. It, it almost made you sick uh, just being, being in that area. But hey, it's a world heritage site, right? Uh, that, listen, there are some inheritance that you don't want anything to do with. You want to cast those off. And if you've received something that your family members gave to you, a statue of Buddha, a statue of whatever world idol or whatever the thing is, or your parents taught you to do yoga, or whatever the case is, there are things to cast off and say, no more, I don't want anything to do with that. And that's what Hezekiah does. He says, those old ways of my father are no more. And those fathers, fathers, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to surrender ourselves to the Lord God. So he casts all these things off. Now, John chapter 3 gives us an interesting understanding to this Nehushtan, the um, bronze serpent there. Turn over to John 3. And in John 3, Jesus has a unique meeting with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is... uh, a Pharisee, and he's curious about Jesus. He wants to learn about Jesus. So he comes to Jesus in the evening, and he's got a couple questions for Jesus. First one is, how can I be saved? It's a good question to ask Jesus. And Jesus responds that you've got to be born again. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus says, well, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense. I, how can I get back into my mother's womb? That's not possible. And Jesus says, well, uh, you, you've got, in order to be born again, you've got to be born of the water, basically uh, born of man, and born of the spirit. There's a spiritual birth that we can have. So Nicodemus is more intrigued. Well, Jesus goes on. In John 3, to tell them what must happen. So, he says in um, verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and do you not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have sent. And you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the serpent in the wilderness, verse 14, uh, so the, must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So right before Jesus shares this beautiful verse, John 3, 16, which is a wonderful summary of the gospel, he says that just like Moses lifted up that bronze serpent in the desert so people would come to and be be saved, that they would be uh, healed of that bite from the evil serpent that was bringing death on them, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And and we see here that Jesus is the fulfillment of what God gave back to Israel in Numbers twenty, when they were wandering in the in the the um, wilderness. Jesus is lifted up. Jesus took our sin upon Himself and was judged for us. He is our substitutionary atonement. He is the one who's taken all of our sin and our penalty upon himself. And, and he's part imputed to us his righteousness uh, so that anyone who believes in him will be saved. And that Jesus is the man we should be worshiping. Israel started worshiping this bronze serpent for years when it wasn't about the bronze serpent. It was about God and God, God foretelling Israel that this coming Savior the Savior was to come. And they started worshiping like an idol. But yet here, Jesus in John 3 tells us that just like that, sin will be judged by me. That, uh, that I'll become the judgment of sin for you. For God so loved the world. What a beautiful verse, huh? I want to leave you with a charge from Second Peter. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall From your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.